This is an opportunity for us this morning to spend time understanding, as we've been talking about sermons on relationships, today we have the opportunity to look at what God has to say about marriage. And there are a number of really significant quotes on the front of the bulletin. Um, One of the quotes I think that's really important for us to look at as we look at marriage as a moving target um, is the middle quote. Today, marriage is more discretionary than ever and also more distinctive. It is something young adults do after their live-in partners, after they and their live-in partners have good jobs and a nice apartment. It has become the capstone experience of personal life, the last brick put in place after everything else is set. People marry to show their family and friends how well their lives are going, even if deep down they are unsure whether their partnership will last a lifetime. That's from an opinion piece in the New York Times, In the Season of Marriage, a question, why bother? Let me open this in prayer. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for the way that that shows us your engagement with us, you who have created everything and are independent and complete without us. You've chosen to create. You've chosen to create people who need to live in community. You've chosen to create people who need to live in community that even when we have relationship with you, we're not complete. We need community with one another. And so we pray this morning as we hear what you have created, what you have established, what you have given to us, that we would be hungry to recognize that you are the one who has created, you are the one who defines, and you are the one who has given us a gift beyond our comprehension. Lord, we confess that we are a people who shape things, who try and find meaning, who try and take power, who try and stay in control. And we don't recognize the incredible gift that you've given us of being the one in control who lovingly cares for us. And so we pray this morning as we hear what you have done, as we hear more about the gift that you've given us, that we would rest in you, that we would hunger for being able to see your goodness and know your power and act in compliance with your word and your will. And Father, we pray that you would shape us, that you would free us to experience what you created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. The the reason that the sermon is titled The Moving Target of Marriage is because as we talked about in the confession and as we talked about in prayer, we are people who try to take control. We are a people who try to define the reality in which we live. We attempt to enforce order on the world around us. And today, we're busy trying to change things God has given us, one of which is marriage. God established marriage in the creation of man. In Genesis 1 and 2, he talks about marriage. He, he says of man, Adam created in isolation of Eve, even though all of creation was there, and even though God was there, as E.C.'s talked about earlier in sermons on this series, it was not good. Everything God did in the creation, all the days that he was creating, every day he finishes with the summary, 
it is good. But the comment that he makes when he creates Adam before the creation of Eve is, it is not good. Adam had relationship with God. And it was still not good because, because humanity was incomplete. And so God created woman and established community in humanity. And so today, as we're going to look at the idea, the relationship God has created in marriage, we're going to look at the purposes God has given. But I also want to look at the fact that today, we as a culture are redefining that fundamental foundational relationship. So I want to look at three points. I want to look at marriage is foundational and normal, but not essential. I want to look at the fact that God established marriage in the work of creation. And I want to look for a moment at what culture is doing today to redefine marriage in an attempt to exert control over our world. So one of the important points that we need to look at today is that marriage is foundational and normal, but not essential. And by that, I don't mean to say that marriage is not important in terms of human relationships, that we can be relating as family apart from that fundamental reality of marriage. What I am trying to say is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7 is a chapter that talks much about the idea of marriage. In fact, in my Bible, it's titled The Principles of Marriage. But Paul talks about the fact that we are, in some ways, complete in community. God said at creation, it is not good for the man to be alone. And so he created woman. In some ways, that's a logical necessity. Because if there were not man and woman, if there were not the establishment of family, there would not be the fulfillment of the commission be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. If Adam had been created and then Ed had been created, Adam and Ed would have died and that would have been the end of humanity. So in creating community, God established marriage as a fundamental relationship as the foundation upon which community could be built. But that is not to say that singleness is rebellion. That is not to say that singleness is incomplete. We exist in a community beyond the family. We exist in a community beyond marriage. We exist in the body of the church. We exist in relationship with other people. And so in some cases, and in particular in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul speaks to this loudly, marriage is not for everyone. And so we do not want to be a community that expects every person to grow up and get married. Singleness is something God gives as a gift to particular people. And so it is not rebellion to be single. It is not incomplete to be single. But the norm and the foundation is marriage. In marriage, this is a permanent covenantal union 
that exists to provide a basis for family and community. I want to say that again. It is a permanent covenantal union that exists to provide a basis for family and community. In marriage, we make promises for how we will relate to each other as we build family. There's a lot of sociological studies that talk about the importance of a stable home environment where there's a father and a mother and children are raised. In marriage, there is a command. In Genesis 1, as God creates Adam and Eve, male and female, he created them. He gives the commission, the covenantal mandate, the creation mandate, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. And so there is, in marriage, a call to child-bearing and child-rearing. Procreation is a key part of marriage. But I'm going to argue in this message that it is not the ultimate aspect of marriage. We don't get married to have kids, and that's it. Because there's also a call to community and a call to oneness. And in Genesis 2, as God creates Eve from Adam, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Two huge principles that are at the heart of marriage is procreation and family and community. And as we recognize that the church and that, that there is a community among one another through the one another commands in Scripture, there is a reality of marriage beyond children. And for those of you who have families with young kids, there is a time coming when you will have more time and attention with your spouse than you will with your kids. That is a relationship to prioritize, to treasure, and to build. I understand how difficult it is to raise kids, and I understand how difficult it is to be able to focus on each other in the midst of raising kids, but that is a priority to maintain. Because the more long-term focus of marriage is community. It is the relationship with one another. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But again, in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says in verse 1, Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. But Paul goes on to say that if God gives you the ability to be single, be single. This is written in a time of crisis. It's written in a time where Paul is recognizing there are difficulties that are happening, where the kingdom needs to be built, the kingdom needs to be established, and it is important to focus on those priorities. But it is still true that God's long-term plan for community is family. And so children are a part of that. Family is a part of that. But I'm going to say here, family is not merely the biological unit. We are family. The body of Christ is family. We are to invest in and build each other. 
And so even while I'm talking about the, the relationship of marriage, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that community is bigger than marriage. Community is bigger than family. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7.10, to the married I give this charge, not I but the Lord. The wife should not separate from the husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried and or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. To the rest I say, not I, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who, oh, I'm sorry, I'm going the wrong place. Let me go to live as you were called. Um, Verse 25, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Paul's making the point that marriage is not the only relationship. Paul is making the point that marriage is not the thing all should expect. He's talking about a bigger calling, which is to the kingdom. Let me go back to the establishment of marriage. Marriage is established by God in the work of creation. This is the second point. Fill the earth and subdue it. There is a sense of the need to be able to build humanity. Um, We are indeed to be able to have families, raise kids. That's the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We're talking in Ephesians 6 and 5 about marriage. We're talking about husband and wife. We're talking about parent and child. We're talking about child and parent. We're talking about slave and master and master and slave. He's looking at all the aspects of relationship. But the point that, that I want to try and make here is that there is a requirement, there is a call for us to be able to pass the faith on to our kids. Um, But that's not the greatest aspect of marriage. And so I want to focus on the idea of community. God said it is not good for the man to be alone. God created Eve and said it is very good. In that passage in Genesis 2, we read that man and woman, Adam and Eve, were naked and unashamed. And that speaks of a level of intimacy and a level of connection that is the heart of the marriage relationship. It is a prototype for community. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. There is a goal for us in our relationships to experience community that is unhindered. That's the idea of naked. It is intimate. There are no boundaries. There is a relationship that is as deep as we can possibly go. Um, but while they were naked and unashamed, they were unhindered but not mature.
This was the beginning of their relationship. In a sense, this is their honeymoon. They had not yet sinned. There was no separation. There was no break. There was no isolation. It's a picture of the intimacy that we're created to experience. But it was immature. And they weren't ready to face temptation. And so it was so immature that when Eve was tempted and Adam was present, Adam was not mature enough to protect his wife. Adam was not able to say no, and Adam was not able to take his wife from temptation. There is, in our goal, unhindered and mature. And as we look at marriage today, what we are called to build is an intimacy that is deep and strong and mature. It is a community that holds one another up. And so there's a responsibility for us. And, and I'm not going to get into male headship. I'm not going to get into roles in marriage. I'm going to get into the idea that marriage is a place where community is to be most deeply experienced. Community is an issue of intimacy. It is an issue of connection. If you look at the one another commands that, that describe that community in the New Testament, it's love one another as I have loved you. Bear one another's burdens. Um, when one falls, lift them up. When one sins, challenge and charge them to be the person they're called to be. Ecclesiastes talks about two are better than one for they have a good return for their labor, for if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. That's maturity. That's our calling. In order for that to take place, we have to be growing. We have to be developing our own Christ-likeness. The place we have the greatest opportunity to do that is in marriage. I'm called to build myself so that I'm able to care for my spouse. Because Ecclesiastes goes on, but woe to the one who's alone and does not have another who will lift them up. You can be alone in community. You can be alone in a crowd. What we're called to do is bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6.2. And that's in the context of confronting one who has sinned. Because 6.1 says, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, again, that idea of the maturity, restore them in a spirit of gentleness, looking to yourself, lest you also be tempted. There's a humility so there's a maturity and a humility that's a part of that community, which again is most completely experienced in the context of the relationship of marriage. Because I have good friends, 
but I don't live with them. I don't see them 24-7. I don't know what's going on in the depths of their lives. I don't wake up in the morning and I don't go to bed with my friends, although Laura's a really good friend, um, but she's uniquely my wife. I know her in ways I don't know anybody else. And I'm called in the context of my spiritual maturity and the humility that God is going to build in me, against my will, I might add. I'm called to build her up. I'm called to be that one who will pick her up when she falls. It's an intimacy, which is the heart of community. And because we are created as embodied spirits, that intimacy is physical, it is emotional, and it is spiritual. And as soon as we match the two words physical and intimacy, some people's minds, most people's minds, almost everybody's minds, go to a particular place, which is a particular kind of intimacy that we can uniquely, according to the word of God, experience in the context of that covenantal union of marriage. But I'm sorry, I'm being physically intimate when I wash dishes. Because I am physically communicating my love in the actions of my work to my wife. I'm being physically intimate when I clean the garage. We can get more amens. I'm sure there's more people out there who want to say it. We are physical beings, and we live in a physical world, and we express love in physical ways that go so far beyond sexual intimacy. We are emotional and spiritual beings. We're embodied souls. And honestly, this is not going to be a, a sermon on, on sex, because that's just such a small part of marriage. But if there's not an emotional intimacy, there can't be a physical intimacy. And part of the problem that we have is we'll take passages like 1 Corinthians 7, 3, which talks about don't withhold your conjugal rights. Well, that word is actually the Greek word debt, obligation. It's not anything related to physical sexuality, even though it's in the context of Paul saying, it's good for a man not to have sexual relationships with a woman. There is a physical component there that is in view, but the term that Paul uses is debt. Do you know what my debt to Laura is as her husband? It's the vows I make when I establish the covenantal union of marriage. This is not a passage that talks about being able to demand particular rights. It is a passage that talks about the community and the intimacy of a relationship that God has laid at the foundation of human relationships. It is emotional. It is spiritual. The debt that I owe to Laura is to be emotionally connected and intimate, to be spiritually connected and intimate, to be mature to care for her as the image bearer she is, 
and to experience that physical intimacy in the breadth of all that it is, including doing the dishes, taking out the trash, vacuuming. It is a complete relationship. It is a permanent relationship. It's not intended to end. It's not intended to be something that is distracted from. It is to be my focus for the length of my life. It is the foundation of all community, but it is not the sum total of all community. It lays the foundation for broader relationships. But along with intimacy in community is communication. The way you build intimacy is that communication with one another. You have to be able to know your spouse. You have to talk. You have to listen. And then on top of what you learn in talking and listening, you have to act. There is so much for us to understand about what God has given us in the context of marriage. It is that platform from which we move into broader community. But today, and this is the third point I want to make, we as a culture are redefining marriage. Marriage is no longer that establishment of family. It is no longer at the forefront of establishing community. Marriage is now something you do when you're okay. I do a lot of counseling for people who are in marriage trouble. One of the things that I've become more aware of is it's almost an unheard thing. In Portland and in the communities in which I do most of my counseling, even in the context of what would be considered solid evangelical churches. It's an almost unheard thing for people to get married without having either cohabitated or at least lived as if they're cohabitating. Many of the marriages I'm counseling, the children are older than the marriage. And that's the thing that you're finding in our culture today. The, the quote on, on the front is from an op-ed piece in the New York Times, but that, that op-ed piece goes on to talk about that marriage has become either unimportant or it's become a statement of success. It is not a fundamental foundational relationship upon which our other relationships are built. It's not the start of family, it's the capstone. And in fact, part of what that op-ed piece talks about is that there are really two categories of people today. There are those who can afford to get married and do so after they've really accomplished a successful career in life. They may have already had kids 
and decide, okay, well, now is the time for us to take that step and finally get married. But there's an entirely other category of people who simply don't believe that marriage is something they can afford to do. They live together, and if the relationship lasts, they're a family. If the relationship doesn't last, they're not a family. And part of the counseling that I'm doing is people who have children with three, four, five different people who are in a relationship now where they did get married, but they have all of this baggage that they have to live with and address. You may not be familiar with that, but I'd be very surprised if you aren't. It's becoming commonplace. It's a normal thing now for marriage to be an afterthought. Because we're trying to define our world. We're trying to define how we want to live. And that's why I think the, the confession that we made earlier today is so important. Let me draw your attention to it. Father, forgive us. Though you should guide us, we inform ourselves. Though you should rule us, we control ourselves. Though you should fulfill us, which again is a, a statement to unpack, God gave marriage as a way for us to be who we are created to be. Marriage is not an optional thing for us. Marriage is not an add-on. Marriage is foundational for the community in which we live. Though you should fulfill us, we console ourselves. If we want to think that we're better, if we want to think that we understand more, I want you to take that confession of faith and broaden it. Where do you define your reality? Where do you take control over what will and won't be? As I look at culture and I recognize that people are redefining things that we simply don't have the ability to redefine. We are humans who live in community and even those who are taking marriage and redefining it still live in community. They're just not living in community with an understanding of what really is going on. They're not living with the full blessings of what God has given. Where do you define your reality? Where do you take control? Where do you tell God what is and isn't? Where do you tell God he's not good enough? We have the opportunity by recognizing God's authority, by recognizing in God's authority his goodness, by coming back to the reality that God is the one who's in control and he's in control in a loving way. 
He has not failed us. He has not forgotten us. And by living under his authority, and by living in visible and concrete ways, such as marriage under his authority, we have an opportunity to give testimony. In Ephesians 5, we're told how the wife and the husband are to relate to each other. We're told how we are to build community. We're told how we are to care. 1 Corinthians 7, if you read the entire chapter, it's an amazing statement of how we are to love each other well in the context of marriage or non-marriage. It is about devoting ourselves to the kingdom of God and not to ourselves. It is about living for something bigger than us. It is about it is thoroughly about recognizing the authority and the goodness of God. And when we live within compliance of God's commands, we are a testimony to the world. We're also blessed. Because God knows us. God understands what is good for us. God understands how important community is and how we can live in that community. I'm sure there'll be more messages in the series on relationships that talk about what that is in more detail. But brothers and sisters, you have the opportunity to live under the loving authority of God. And one thing I will say as I wrap up, when you begin to wrestle with God's goodness, when you begin to wonder about his care, when you struggle with his love for you, go to Gethsemane. You honestly have no ability to challenge and question God's love. You have a lot of opportunity to wonder how it's being enacted in your life today. But you have no opportunity to question the love of God because Jesus went to Gethsemane. And he wrestled with the reality of the coming judgment. And then he went from Gethsemane by way of the Praetorium and the Sanhedrin to Calvary. But between those two places, he said to his disciples, put away your sword. Do you not understand I could call down 12 legions of angels? Because in Gethsemane, he had said, take this cup from me. I don't want it. And out of his love for you, he then said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Brothers and sisters, the love of God is without challenge. The commands of God are not punishment. They are a loving gift that speaks to his care for you and his willingness to help you to see what you can't see on your own.
Before he went to Gethsemane, Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Those commands are not a sacrifice. Those commands are a gift. And so as we look at the issue of marriage, marriage is not a difficulty. Marriage is not an obligation. But marriage is the foundation of community. And it is a place where we are to grow in maturity and humility in order to bless our spouse as we obey our Lord. Father, we do thank you for the gift of creation. We thank you for life. We thank you for your community with us. And we recognize that we depend upon you in ways that we can't yet even understand. And so we ask, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that you would help us to see what we do not see in our own, that the confession that we made this morning would become more real to us, that we would recognize we're not in control and we cannot shape our reality. We can submit to your loving truth. We can listen to your revelation. We can, by the power of your spirit, be the people you've created us to be. And today, for those of us who are married, that means a relationship. That means community. That means selflessness and love. And I pray, Lord, that you would work in our marriages, that they may be a testimony not only to those in our congregation, but they would be a testimony to those in our community, in our workplaces, in our world. And we pray, Lord, that you would work through us to make our marriages a picture of Christ's marriage to his church. In Jesus' name, amen.